so we're going to talk about Doomsday Clock number three. We've all been very excited uh, for this issue to finally drop, and here it is. Uh, unfortunately, the series is about to go bi-monthly, which is really bad for this. Oh, I didn't know months came out like that. Good for them. <laughs> it's, you know. Sean, you're just putting months on blast like that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, um, so it's about to go by monthly, which is really bad for a book like this because uh, it's already a slow burn. And I don't think that I felt the slow burn more than I did here. Yeah. I I really expected this to already be done. Like. You know, the Gary Frank and Jeff Johns have been such a such a good team that I thought this would be the kind of a title that they would set aside and have them specifically working on so that they could take their time and get it right. Like, I, I guess I figured they had been working on this like two years ago. See, I didn't get that impression, but I definitely agree with you that I thought that this book was going to take priority for them in a way where like we wouldn't see delays or anything like that. Seeing it go by monthly is was really surprising for me and super disappointing because um, I agree with you, Sean, that I don't think that the way the story is being told is going to benefit from that space. Yeah. So, like, the one thing I can say is that uh, John said that that they were working on it for a while before we saw anything. And that, I mean, this is the only thing that either one of them is working on aside from, like, the one – Comic book-wise. Well, yeah. But aside from the one – because John's is the problem. Gary Frank is the problem as far as the delay is concerned. And he's only working on this. So he Gary's style, and you can tell like in all of his other work, it's not always as detailed as it is here. Especially mm. in terms of like how they're laying out the book in very specific ways with very specific paneling and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it. I can imagine it takes a lot of time to put this kind of thing together. And I guess the lead in time that they had wasn't enough, which is, it's just crazy that, you know, it's going to slip into the bi monthly. But let's talk about the book. Sure. Uh, so we kick off with the continuation from last issue where, you know, the comedian <laughs> is back um, and he shot Lex Luthor, which is ridiculous. Uh, and it just kind of progresses. That's a sentence that you're saying in real life. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Uh, I guess we got an explanation. You know, Dr. Manhattan saved him. He. It, it seems like he, like, plucked him out of time. Yeah. Yeah, that was the impression I got. And that he'll – I figure, like, eventually he'll go back where he's supposed to be in some way because, obviously, like, we know that – the comedian's body was was found so i think i think it depends on what happens with the the continuity here that's a good point but i i think sean's probably right i feel like we're going to see the other side of that scene again that he'll blink back into the drop and we'll see him hit the ground and die i i don't know from what but it could be from something else which is actually a really interesting thought yeah i kind of got the um i think going back to what Sean said, I think in issue one, um, with like the like the penny, the duality. So I kind of saw it as like that he's dead in one universe and like alive in another. Like that was kind of reading into it, but I got like a similar feeling of like two, like sort of two sides of it, um, of it, of the same coin, sure. like different. They're like they're 
parallels in their in their styles and like that's what they're trying to do is really separate one from the other but still keep it connected by like tied through something there is a, a small line that I, I did want to bring up and and this is good a place as any it says the line is something to the effect of uh the killed will be killer did you guys yes. pick that up oh. i was wondering if that was one of those small like alan moore-esque hints at what could be you know in the future so that i mean the comedian is a, a logical line through if you if you if you take it that way i didn't yeah i didn't put that together at, at the time but now that you say that that would make sense hmm. there are several uh sort of like little things like that and there's another one that i'll, I'll bring up a little later um but i want to talk about the marionette and 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 all that cool stuff that we got to see my god uh those two are the best like yeah and I'm so happy that that's my opinion, that yeah. like in a story yeah. that's supposed to be a Watchmen sequel, that the characters I'm the most invested in are the two new ones. As listeners might know, I'm not a big fan of superhero comics, <laughs> but that was some comic shit I dug. <laughs> that was cool, man. Why'd you like it so much? Um, I think, well, like it's always like it's alluded to that, you know, he has invisible weapons and then like seeing him with yeah. them out. It's like, yeah. You, you, you know, you, you tease that out on me and like you're pulling the triggers like, thank you. Um, and all, uh, just like the like what Sean was saying, the paneling was really good. The way they, they showed the motions um, sort of took you through that spatially. It was really cool. I think that was probably the strongest part of this issue for me was the paneling. Mm. I, there was a couple yeah. times where just the page layout really blew me away. Um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but while we're on the subject of that, my favorite scene was um, Osmandius' escape when there was that one shot of him, and it was across the three panels of him like diving across the, you know, the 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 street to land yeah. to the other side. Like it was just so stylish, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, if if that's the like caliber of art that we can expect for the next what is it eight issue nine issues, um. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm bad at math. I know how many issues there are. I just, it's it's um, <laughs> nine. Yeah, it's nine. I, I, I have to say, I guess it'll be worth the wait because I, I definitely agree with you, Marco. That was something that really stood out to me, this issue, especially because the story was so slow Yeah, that I feel like the art did a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is equal parts, Johns and Frank, and uh, that's that's what's so great about this and their dynamic is that you can tell with every issue that without either piece, the puzzle doesn't work. Yeah, because this script is strong, even though, like, the issue was slow in the overall narrative. Like, there was a lot of really good moments in it, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the mime and marionette sequence is especially interesting because it answers one of the questions that people have had for like, the first couple of issues, which is, what the hell is going on with the mime? Is he just crazy? Yeah. You know, what? what's the deal? Turns out, he really does have weapons. Yeah. It's cool. I was just going to say, definitely crazy, but has weapons. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, my question was, so do you guys think that, are these like just tech or does he have powers? Like is it, like is he manifesting these weapons with powers or do, is he just kitted out with invisible weapons that he got somewhere? Definitely invisible weapons. Yeah. yeah. You think? Uh, yeah. That was what I was thinking too because Marionette also used them. I don't think so. She had like it seemed like a a, a, like a, a razor a razor cord razor thin yeah yeah it yeah. wasn't a gun but it was still in, invisible right like no I'm no not, no it was, no, it was you, can, you can see just oh, it's okay. a very thin cord 
Okay. I Because I got the impression that that was the outline of an invisible weapon because the same thing happened when he fired the gun and when he threw the knife. But hers was like a, a razor-thin wire that, in theory, you wouldn't be able to see anyway. Okay. All right. Yeah, like yeah, like makes... razor sharp, like fishing line or something. That's a cool ass weapon. She like ripped up a dude, man. When she just like ripped that, like just cut that dude's hand off, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, you have really pretty eyes." It was like, what a what a panel, man. Awesome. Really, really, really uh, good stuff and great dialogue. I thought from uh, Johns as well. This is like, I mean, obviously they're kind of like the Watchmen universe's allegory for Joker and Harley Quinn. But they feel a lot more interesting in a weird way, I guess, because we've we're exposed so much. Totally agree to Joker and Harley. This dynamic is 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 very like it's fresh, reminiscent, but fresh at the same time. Yeah, and it's like the thing I like about it is like it, you know, <laughs> this to me feels like the relationship that all of the Edge Lords you see talk about how like they have Harley Quinn and Joker relationship goals. It's like oh. I think this is this is like what you're projecting onto their actually fucked up and abusive relationship where it's like seems like they're actually like they care about each other and they're like worried about their child and like they seem like people, you know, not like monsters. And not that Harley Quinn is necessarily a monster, but the Joker sure fucking is. Okay, these two are monsters. Uh, <laughs> they're definitely monsters. It's just that they they care about each other and their child because they, they, they murder they murder monstrously in this issue. They they do hack up a lot of, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another major development here that I think is is actually going to play out huge over the course of the next year because um, Doomsday Clock takes place about a year ahead of the current DC timeline. Uh, So here, they're dealing with this question of, like, why are there so many American uh, superheroes and super-powered people and that whole conspiracy theory? And it's really interesting how that plays into the story because if you think about it, Superman is like this paragon of good and virtue. and, And now... His origin is being called into question. Is he a fake, right? And it just it just kind of like brings out the, the cynicism that exists in everyone. And the cynicism in a lot of ways is what Watchmen was kind of known for. Um, and DC is supposed to be the direct allegory to that. So if the end of the Watchmen universe is the result of cynicism, right, then where is the DC universe going? Right, we see the protests, we see the request for Batman to take off his mask and all that stuff. Are they on the verge? Is Lex Luthor the Ozymandias of the Watchmen universe or of the DC universe in that sense? Like, are they on the road to that? I mean, I feel like they're trying to draw parallels between them, right? Like the last issue, there was a very concerted effort to point out their similarities and differences to us as as readers. So I think that's probably a pretty good guess. Did anyone else think it was a little weird that, like, the intro to the whole superhuman thing was they were, like, calling for Batman to take his mask off when he's, like, not a superhuman? Like, I thought that was a little strange. Like, I I get... People don't know that. That's fair, I guess. Like, like, the general myth around Batman is that he's just as much uh, superhuman as Superman or Wonder Woman. That makes sense. There's also some missing context here that you only know if you're reading current justice league uh in that book there's a storyline playing out where 
basically there's an imposter Batman and he's doing some things that are really messed up and murdering and people are thinking that it's the real Batman that's doing that and they want his head and in the book people are asking the question of well how am I supposed to know that there's not more than one Batman or how are we supposed to take his word when we don't even know who he is and so that actually is – I'm sure that, that this is deliberate, that these stories are playing out at the same time, um, even though Doomsday Clock takes place a year in advance. So you can see how after this Justice League story plays out and over time, they would get to the point where this is the result. But if you okay. don't read the Justice League book, then you don't know that. So that's kind of like a, a misstep by DC. But I also like the fact that you don't necessarily have to have that context to read Doomsday Clock. Well, yeah, because it wasn't like I read that and I was like, oh, this makes no fucking sense. And it totally took me out of it. Like, Batman's a part of the superhero community. Like, obviously, it was just, I guess, like that specifically, I guess, as someone who didn't have that context, I was kind of like, that's kind of weird, I guess. You know, like it definitely made me question it, but it wasn't like some glaring flaw in my mind by any means. So let's talk about the the show or the movie, rather, that um – that that gets presented. That here. was a really fun plot device. I thought it's kind of like the black fr- the black freighter, right? For this for this story, it's the counterpoint. And uh, I really like that they introduced it here. So basically, um, the characters are watching a movie called The Adjournment. There's like there's a lot of of history towards to, to this. Nathaniel Dusk is an actual comic book character in like in real life in our world. Um, and there were some stories told about him, but he kind of got disregarded. He gets brought back here in Doomsday Clock as a like a a, a movie sort of like a uh, like a, not like a James Bond, but I can't think of a great example. But he's a character. It's like those old fucking you know like gumshoe yeah. spy you know private investigator smoking a cigarette you know black and white kind of like Jessica Jones. What that's based on. <laughs> Essentially, essentially. But what's really interesting about this, and it seems like it's going to be like a Black Freighter-esque type thing, is that the actor who plays Nathaniel Dusk is named Carver Coleman, and he gets murdered. Um, And there's some really interesting stuff going on there because – I don't know if you guys caught this, but they say that the only thing that was missing off his body – they say this in the book – was his watch. Yeah, and that there are some lies he's been telling about his origin, how his family owns a farm, and all these different things, and it turns out that they're not true. And so I'm kind of wondering, how does this story relate to Doctor Manhattan? Because obviously, no Watchmen fan is going to read that and not realize the watch thing. Yeah, and also they wouldn't they wouldn't have given it this much screen time and then the three pages of backup material that you're supposed to pick through to get these little details if there wasn't. We're obviously getting threads here. I wonder if it's the body that you know back back to the point about the comedian. I wonder if it's and this is obviously a long shot speculation, but I wonder if it's the body that they bury in Watchmen in place of the comedian does he look enough oh no they said his face was beaten beyond recognition even by his closest friends that's the thing they said hmm you might be on to something there kale and even hmm. i don't know i don't know that doesn't long shot speculation but there's something there yeah there's something there um i also 
I also took that that back matter as sort of a um, uh, the book that Hollis Mason writes um, in Watchmen, uh, detailing sort of their uh, you know his early career and and the forming of the Minutemen and you know all that. Um, they 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 point out uh, Ted Grant, who is the Wildcat, John Law, and Libby Lawrence. Those are all Golden Age superheroes. Uh, John Law, I believe, is uh, um, uh, Johnny Quick. Oh, was he? He was like the the spirit predecessor. I because he was divorced from Libby Lawrence, who's the original Liberty Bell. Mm, I don't know. I might be thinking of someone else. No, you're absolutely onto something, Kale. Uh, I was reading about this a little earlier. I don't remember all the exact details, but there's a lot of like deep comic book yeah, yeah, yeah. references and stuff like that. And speaking to your point about Hollis Mason, consider the way that this guy was murdered. Mm-hmm. Coleman was beaten with what they won't say is, a, is an Oscar, but it is. And the same way that Mason was beaten with one of his trophies, right? Yeah, his night yeah. owl trophies or whatever, yeah. 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 Yeah, Kale. Uh John Law is a Will Eisner creation. Um his partnership was with Lady Luck back in the day. So the the other the only other thing I wanted to point out was that Coleman had a secret room. They say in the back matter, he had a secret room that was filled with clocks on display and different things like that. So there's a lot going on here, and I think that subsequent issues will absolutely address it. Um so the other thing that I wanted to talk about is really kind of the centerpiece of this issue, which is the relationship between Batman and Rorschach. I was just going to say, so we found out that Rorschach is mostly a, a nobody, right? Not necessarily. We know that he was a cab driver uh, because he's seen in a cab. We see him in a cab when the events of Watchmen take place. Was it a cab? I missed um, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's that. I'm questioning how he survived. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but we'll see. Especially if he was right in front of the thing like the comic tells us he was. Right. Yeah, it's. it looks like he's like, you know, maybe 10, maybe 10 blocks away. You know, like it, it looks like he's very close. We see him wake up. It could have been a dream. Maybe he wasn't actually driving his cab when it took place. But why would you see yourself as a cab driver if you weren't? I would assume he was a cab driver, whether or not he was actually at the blast zone. Like that could be, like you said, kind of like a nightmare scenario. If he saw the footage of it, he's putting those two memories together in the dream kind of thing, you know? Yeah, that's what I, that was my takeaway. Um, And then the other thing is, is that he mentions that his family died on that day. So that's another hint. He was absolutely, he had family, whether that was, he was the son of somebody relevant or maybe he wasn't relevant at all. We don't know. He also says – he says in the scene, he's like, I got to get home to mom and dad. Right. So, like, when, when he said that his family was killed, I thought that would mean, like, wife and kids. But I guess maybe it's his parents that he's talking about. Which, again, I'm thinking he's the son of, of – uh, I believe his name is Dr. Long from Watchmen. Oh, uh, Still therapist. holding on to that. Right. Yeah, oh. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean – I was wondering about what Kale had said, right? Like, is he just a nobody? But then, like, why Why did he take up the Rorschach mantle? Like, you know, where did he get the journal? Like, there's a lot of questions as to why he would go this route if he's not connected to the original, you know, like, tree of people, as it were, somehow. 
you know, if he doesn't have some personal connection. But not necessarily, but I feel like I feel like there is a connection there to someone from the original book. Sure. And Watchmen is about legacies in a lot of ways. I could see that being, you know, a connection. Um, the one panel or sequence of panels that stuck out to me was when he's scrubbing himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Trying to clean himself. That and obviously so he feels cool. very, very guilty about what he has uh, involved himself in here with Ozzy. And he scrubs himself so hard that he starts bleeding from the scalp. That was crazy. Yeah, it was a really intense moment. So I, I looked back at um, where the the guy was, the the Rorschach. Uh, he's in front of it. He's in behind a taxi. So we see taxi in front, but I don't think he's actually in a taxi. Huh? Are you sure? Yeah. If you go over to the page, there's like a there's a taxi in in front of him. But there's a thing hanging from a rearview mirror and everything. Like he's in a car. Yeah, he's he's in a car, but not a not a cab. He's not driving a cab. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you're you're definitely right. Um, there's a, there's a taxi in front of him, so we'll see how that we'll we'll see how that all plays out. So then, uh, obviously, we've got the relationship between Batman and Rorschach, where we see Batman kind of reading the journal, which was really cool. Seems to be aligned with Rorschach. And they're ready to go find Dr. Manhattan. Batman has his his machine that can locate Dr. Manhattan. And he says he's in Arkham. So they go to Arkham. And they're walking through Arkham. And they go into a cell. And Batman locks him in. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. That was so cruel. But, like, yeah, it was such a good moment. I was just like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, Why does Batman do that? Because he's a nutter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he must just think he's insane. You know, like, I, I think he definitely gets the impression that he's just, like, a crazy homeless man who has inklings of being a superhero who's involved in this big conspiracy. You know, like, that there's this... You know, because, like, think about it, right? Like, I totally get why, from Batman's perspective, like, he would read this journal and, like, not take it at face value. That's what I thought, but then he's Batman. He's part of the Justice League, like. But but also, like this journal is an account of things that didn't happen in that too. Right, right. Like it's this alternate history, you know, and like. So he might he might as well have handed uh, Batman a book about Twilight. We gotta go get we gotta go get Bella away from these vampires. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I I totally get. That argument of like, well, he's Batman. Batman deals with interdimensional stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, but he has n- like he doesn't know this guy from Adam, and he just shows up at the Batcave, which I guess maybe is a clue that he's you know somewhat legit because he figured it out and he yeah. knew who he was. But even so, that doesn't that means okay maybe this crazy guy's a good, good good detective that doesn't mean his alternate history story is real and that like you know what i mean like it's a far-fetched tale and the guy smells while he's looking for it he indicates that he has a fork pocket that batman's like like there's literally a cut to him just being like what so like i think he very much just gets the impression that he's totally nuts and it's not that hard to break into the Batcave. Like, Ra's al Ghul does it every Tuesday. Like, 
But he's a genius. Uh, the Flash does it every Wednesday. Like, big deal. The Flash <laughs> is a god. Flash can go through walls. He's I, also a genius. He's a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this, uh, that Batman's actions here are out of character. I really do. Um, I think that it doesn't make sense when you consider the button. Because the button miniseries clearly establishes that Batman knows that something is happening. And so does the Flash. And Batman was investigating it. So the fact that somebody comes around with information about an alternate reality when the button is literally all about the Batman going to an alternate reality um, and learning things that he's not supposed to know while chasing down a lead that clearly has something to do with something from an alternate reality doesn't add up for me. Just It just doesn't make sense. I don't think it's super out of character for him to to take that information and leave the person out of it and, you know, either put them at arm's length or get them uh, out of harm's way or just shut them out completely. I think, I think that what you, what you're saying right there sounds right. It's possible that maybe he thinks that this guy's out of his league, out of his depth, but why lock him up in Arkham? The, the fork pocket. He says you belong in here. Batman belongs in there just as much as Rorschach does in that but case. But Batman's rich, Sean. He doesn't care. <laughs> he has a house and a butler to take care of him. It's okay if he's crazy. Batman's a hypocrite. He can afford bail. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think this was hypocritical. And I, I'm more inclined to believe that Batman would have tried to glean every bit of information that he could have. Then just lock the guy I up. agree. There's too much at stake. I think that makes sense, especially when you point out it with the context of uh, of the button, right? Like, I, I had forgotten about the button because I only read the one issue that you uh, you shared with me when we, like, went to the comic book store together in the middle of that series, you know? So that's another thing where with that context, I can I guess I can see why you would feel that way for sure. Yeah, so, I mean... Overall, my feelings are that this was a solid issue. Definitely feeling the slow burn here. This is probably what people who read Watchmen when it was coming out felt like. Um, it's going to hurt when it goes by monthly. But if the quality will always be this good visually and storytelling-wise overall, then I'm willing to wait. I've waited for worse series than this. So this is a monumental thing, and I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, well, I would rather it take those two months because when it's all said and done and it's in one collection, we won't care how long it took, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, if it's a classic. If it's a bonafide classic like Watchmen is, it won't matter, you know? We'll forget that it went bi-monthly. We'll remember that it was great. Can I can I tell you guys what a shitty comics fan I am? <laughs> sure. I, I forgot that, uh, what's the comedian's name? Eddie Blake? Yeah. I forgot that that the comedian dies. So bef- so before I read this issue, it's like the beginning of the book. Right. But so it's been it's been a while since I've read it, right? But it's, yeah, it's fair. you know, he he dies in the beginning of the book and then that sets off the whole thing, right? But there's so much packed in Watchmen and you see him so many other times in his costumes and, you know, raping uh <laughs> I just like I just, when I saw, when I saw, I saw something, uh, it must've been a polygon or something that was like, that was like, yeah, the comedian comes back from the dead. And I was like, the comedian died? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> fucking fake ass comics boy over here. And then I had to, I had to really think, I had to really think about it, and then I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> just, just, does the comedian die? <laughs> Jess is Kale's girlfriend for the uninitiated. Oh, sorry. Because it's funnier with context. See, much much like Doomsday Clock itself, if you've read <laughs> the extended literature, if you're caught up on the Pals League, you would know. The Pals League. <laughs> much like much like Watchmen, it's funnier with context. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for our conversation on Doomsday Clock. And uh, definitely let us know what you're thinking about the third issue. And let us know what your theories are. What is going on with Rorschach? Who is Reggie related to? Is he a cab driver or not? Um, yeah, uh, keep us posted on all your thoughts. And enjoy the rest of the show. I know I'm not on it, which makes it worse. But uh, have a good time well, with this one, kids. Don't worry, you guys. I got this. I'll hold down the fort. He's looking at you, Marco. <laughs>